Amen. Thank you, Brenton and Kara. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be picking up where we left off last week, doing part two on Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, if you'd like to follow along on the teaching notes, we have those on our website, or you can uh, scan the QR code on the bulletin announcement sheet as well, and it'll pull up a link where you can follow along with the teaching notes. We don't have them printed this morning, but you do have access to them on your smartphone or tablet. I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love your word. We love your ministry. We love what you're doing. We ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Father, that you would guide our hearts. You would direct them into the love of God, the patience of Christ. Lord, even this morning, as we gather together in relative peace and safety, Lord, we remember the church in Afghanistan. We cry out for your people, O oh God. We cry out for a spirit of boldness and persevering love to touch their hearts. We ask you for the stirring of their faith. Their faith would not waver nor fail in this very intense hour. Release your mighty presence and power upon your people. Let there be a great harvest of souls, even greater in that nation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're looking at Ephesians 4 and what it means in a small way to be in Ephesians 4 community. Why is this important? Because one, it's in the Bible, and then two, the Lord highlighted this prophetically to us many times over our history as a church family. The Lord spoke that we would be a Zechariah 4 unto Ephesians 4 people. There's more detail on that in the teaching notes, but in essence, Zechariah 4 is the foundation. It's the building of being a people of prayer, a house of prayer before the Lord. Zechariah's prophesying to Zerubbabel about the building of the house of prayer, that the Lord would complete it, that he would do it not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. There would be the grace of the Lord released upon the people of God that fundamentally the people of God would be a house of prayer before him. And then from that identity, from that place of being a house of prayer, that they would go forth in ministry, and that's where the Ephesians 4 uh, dynamic comes in, from Zechariah 4 to Ephesians 4. And so we're seeing Ephesians 4 as both a promise, as a charge, as our future, and what we're seeking to lay hold of by the grace of God more and more together as a spiritual family. Paragraph C, key points from the IHOP KC family conversation, what we're calling the family conversation. The family conversation are prophetic themes connected to passages in the scripture that the Lord has unusually begun to highlight in the last six months to a year. I have a few of them listed here. As the Lord highlighted Revelation chapter three, his commitment, the Lord is determined to deliver his people from a lukewarm spirit. I believe what we're seeing in the culture and what we're seeing in the earth 
is proof of God's commitment to deliver his people from a spirit of lukewarmness in relation to their love, relation in their devotion and commitment to the Lord. I believe that partially, uh, partially the way that we're to interpret the events that we're experiencing is through the lens of God's commitment to purify his church, to purify his people, and bring them into a deeper place of dependency upon him, of leaning upon him, of love and affection for the things of God. And that's part of what the Lord has been prophetically highlighting to this spiritual family in the recent season. He's inviting us to buy gold, Ephesians 3.18, refined in the fire, as the way out of that lukewarm spirit. And we are introducing the what we're calling the Trinitarian conversation. It's the passages from John 13 to 17, where the Lord has invited his people through the cross into the fellowship with his heart, with his agenda, and what he intends to do upon the earth. It's the way out of lukewarmness. He's going to accomplish the greatest social miracle of unity in the body of Christ in all of human history. Isaiah 19, John 17 Ephesians 4 highlight God's commitment to bringing his people into a deep place of fellowship in love with one another. And in the context of that, the Lord's going to release unprecedented miracles, preaching, power, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit like the earth has never seen before. Just a few moments of review from Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 16. Ephesians 4 begins the conversation practically of what's to come out of the body of Christ as they've been brought into a new place of position and power and privilege, all things that the Lord has done. He says, now I want you to walk worthy of these things. I want you to walk in a commensurate way with what I've given to you and imparted to you. I want it to come out in your relationships in your ministry, in your speech, in your resources. I want you to walk in a spirit of lowliness and gentleness. Look at verse two. The Holy Spirit is insisting that the body of Christ would walk in a spirit of humility. He insists upon it. James tells us that the Lord will resist the proud but give grace to the humble. He will actively resist the heart of the believer that walks in a puffed up spirit of pride and arrogance. And here's one of the ways that I think the body of Christ walks in pride is that we exaggerate things or we minimize things. We exaggerate how profound we are, how amazing we are. We minimize issues of sin, compromise in our life Lord says humility is about agreement with truth, agreeing with my word, agreeing with my assessment of you, of your enemies, of the nations, of the earth. He says, I want you in agreement with me. Walk in a spirit that is yoked to me and joined to me. The Lord is insisting upon this. He's insisting 
that as the body of Christ in, uh, faces an increasing culture of betrayal, Matthew 24, verse 10, that the body of Christ would respond to betrayal with blessing by doing good to their enemies, Matthew 5, 44, the Lord says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to bless those that curse you. As things escalate in the culture, in society, related to betrayal, to persecution, to resistance of the gospel, I want you to go in an opposite spirit of the culture. I don't want you to use your enemy's weaknesses against them. I want you to pray for the restoration. I want you to pray blessing over them. I want you to speak kindly about them, even in public, as they resist you, as they use you, as they even persecute you. I mean, what a statement it would be in the earth if the body of Christ would get into the spirit of this even now and that through our social media, through our messages, through our teachings, through what we do online, that we as the body of Christ would exemplify the heart of humility like Jesus had in blessing those that are reviling and cursing the body of Christ. This is what he calls us to. He says, I want you to endeavor to keep unity. I'm after unity. The Holy Spirit in our generation is after the body of Christ, both maintaining unity and later he will talk about in Ephesians chapter four, attaining to unity. That there's a measure of unity that we're supposed to endeavor to keep, to guard, to watch over, to count as holy and sacred that there wouldn't be divisions across the body of Christ, that there wouldn't be gossip and slander and backbiting that would drive the body of Christ apart. But the Lord is going to accomplish what I mentioned earlier, the greatest social miracle in all of human history when the body of Christ will be made one as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. To the measure of unity that is shared within the Godhead, the Lord is going to bring the body of Christ into agreement with that measure of unity and into agreement of unity with one another as we walk together exemplifying to a hostile world the very love of God, the transcendent, holy love of God and the coming kingdom and the day of judgment. Page two. Every joint in the body of Christ is to do its share. Every believer is called to utilize their spiritual gifts. Now, we know from Scripture that God gave gifts from this very passage, that he's given a deposit of his spirit that manifests in the spiritual gifts. That also manifests in the fivefold ministry. And it's through the release of these gifts that the Lord brings the body of Christ to mature love. And every believer in the body of Christ is called to utilize their gifts to build up the kingdom of God, making Christ known. The primary context for this is when we labor together in small circles of friends. 
We call those, uh, here at Forerunner Church, we call them friendship groups. A friendship group has a mission together to strengthen and encourage one another, but also to reach their communities through relationships and through serving. And we're calling this spiritual family to give intentional effort to these things. It requires an intentionality. It requires a focus. It requires a determination. The propensity of the believer is to just kind of sit back kind of come to the buffet on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights and kind of get what's good for them, but rather the Lord wants us to be mobilized together as a spiritual family, as an army that would go forth in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools to use our gifts to build and equip the Lord's family, his kingdom. We've built on-ramps through this uh, ministry, which Lenny LaGuardia, his team are gonna be talking more in the next few weeks even, called Love Thy City. Love Thy City is a multifaceted initiative that we have in order to reach our city through practical works of service, build relationships into the city. Why? So that we have an opportunity to share the gospel, to see the kingdom of heaven advance, we wanna see a grand view of the kingdom in grand view. We wanna see the, this city transformed by the power of the gospel, lives transformed, families transformed, the fatherless meeting their heavenly father, natural biological fathers rising up within their homes, taking their place of authority, leading their families, leading their wives, leading their children's, in this very city, we wanna see our city transformed. We wanna see the power of God, signs and wonders and miracles. We wanna see the poor and the widow and the orphan cared for. And we're calling this spiritual family to have that in mind and begin to labor and pray and put effort into these things in order to see the body of Christ come to maturity and Christ glorified in our city. Well, let's go to verse 17. Verse 17. I'm gonna read uh, some portions here. We're gonna look at the last half here of Ephesians 4. Paul says, This I say, therefore, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. Futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened. Verse 19, their past feeling. They've given themselves over to lewdness and uncleanness and greediness, but you have not so learned in Christ. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now this verse 17, this first part, therefore you should no longer walk according to the Gentiles. Every time that Paul uses the word therefore, he's referencing back to something that he's previously built upon. We see this at the beginning of the chapter in chapter, or excuse me, in verse one. He says, therefore, walk worthy of the Lord. In other words, therefore connects the previous thought and the previous understanding moving forward. And he does the same thing here. He says, therefore, no longer walk as the Gentiles. Because he's highlighting 
that to walk as the Gentiles means that you're neglecting what he's talking about in the previous verses. What's he talking about in the previous verses? We just talked about those things. He's calling the body to unity. He's calling the body to supply the gifts of God towards one another for the growth of the whole so that the body of Christ would grow up into the head, that they would come into maturity. In other words, he's calling the Christian to not just put their resources into their own life and their own destiny, but to see God's purposes go forth in the corporate body of Christ. He's getting us out of selfishness. He's getting us out of our own self-introspection. He's going, I want you to look up, look around, don't walk like the Gentiles do. They walk in lewdness and greed. They spend their resources on themselves. He says, but I don't want you to do that. I want you to spend your resources on one another for God's kingdom purposes to go forth. He's reorienting us to see ourselves as the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15, Paul says that he, meaning Jesus, he died for all, that those who live would no longer live for themselves. One of the central outcomes of the cross, one of the central purposes of the very cross of Christ was to deliver us from our sense of self. How we live, how we speak, how we work can often be so self-focused that we neglect the very glory and the very purpose of God to bring us into his family that we would be co-heirs and co-contributors to seeing the body of Christ brought to maturity. Paragraph B, Paul calls us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. The Spirit, even now, I believe, is calling the church to get into the narrative of heaven, to see what God sees. As it relates to what God is doing in our generation, it does not really matter what our opinion is. What matters is what God thinks, what God says, what God is doing. Aside from that, everything is secondary, everything is peripheral, everything is temporary, The very purposes of God that we're seeing in our generation, they are eternal. They are being divinely orchestrated. And the Lord is calling us to renew our mind, to get into the narrative, the purposes of God, to see what it is that God sees, to speak what it is that he's speaking, to seeing his purposes go forth in our generation. We're to be partners with his generational purposes. He's called us his body. We're to be an extension of the mind, the head, which are the thoughts of God and the purposes of God. The body is to respond to the signals that are sent from the head, who is Christ. And we as the body of Christ are meant to respond to the signals, the messages, the prophetic message revealed in the word of God to us that we would partner in his ministry and what he is doing. We're the bride of Christ. We're called to be intercessors. We're called to be his friends. We're called to be in dynamic relationship with the Godhead 
so that as we move forward, we're in agreement, we're operating in agreement at every level of our life with what it is that God wants and what it is that he's after. We do this by filling our mind with the word through a prayerful spirit. We give ourselves to prayer, fasting, and the word of God. We allow the truth of God to renew our minds, to actually change our thoughts, to transform us. Paul says in Romans 12, verse two, he says, be transformed through the renewing of your mind. He says, I don't want you to stay as you are fixated on the things that you're fixated on. All of the cultural conversations, all of the temporary things, all the bickering, all the arguing, the divisiveness. He says, I want you to be transformed in the spirit of your mind. Renew your mind. Wash it with the word repeatedly, day after day, with a spirit of prayer and fasting in your life. Put it in you so that your mind is transformed and you think like I think. That's what the Lord wants. We want to see God the way that God sees God. Imagine if we were able to see and experience God the way that he experiences, the Father experiences the Son. The great joy and delight that the Father has for the Son, that that same joy and delight would be our delight. The way that God sees his people, that when we look out at the landscape, the body of Christ throughout the nations, that we would see and feel the very things that God sees and feels for his people. And on and on, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see our enemies, the way that we see the lost, we want to get into the narrative of heaven and have our mind transformed and renewed by the word, amen? Let's go to verse 25. Verse 25. Paul then there uh, uh, begins to emphasize the importance of speech. How bizarre. He's laying out in this chapter this vision for Christian maturity, the fivefold ministry, what is to be the body of Christ. And he brings it down, I believe, to the most fundamental and germane issue. What's at the very core? What's at the very core of the body of Christ moving forward into maturity? What's at the very core of the body of Christ hobbling and coming short in her love? It actually has to do with the issues of speech and the tongue. He highlights it no less than six times throughout this passage and then even into Ephesians 5 in the first few verses. He says, put away lying. Speak truth to your neighbor. Verse 26, again, in the context of speech, but don't be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your route. Don't give place to the devil. Verse 29, don't let corrupt words proceed from your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, that it would impart grace. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, there it is again, be put away from you. He goes on in chapter five. He says, let filthiness and put away foolish talk and coarse jesting, they're not fitting. Why is this important? Isaiah the prophet was taken to the very throne room in Isaiah chapter six 
And what he saw and experienced was the family conversation, the Trinitarian conversation. What is going on in heaven and the realm of the spirit? What is that whirlwind of activity and dialogue that is surrounding the very person of God? When Isaiah is taken there and what he sees and experiences and what he hears, we know brings an immediate conviction to his speech. He says, woe is me, I'm an unclean man. I have unclean lips. And part of what he means is that I've been saying, I've been agreeing with, I've been complaining in my heart in a way that is completely disconnected from the things of God and what is happening around that fiery throne. He goes, I'm, it's a wake-up call. I mean, how much of a wake-up call would it be for the body of Christ to suddenly be standing in the courtroom of heaven, hearing what God is talking about, hearing what he wants, seeing him in the way that he appears and manifests. He becomes, Isaiah does, painfully aware of the uncleanness of his speech when he saw and heard what I'm calling the family conversation. It's the family dynamic. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in glory, in power, from the place of authority, that very throne, executing their desires and their will throughout the cosmos. Isaiah shows up, and the first thing he's convicted of is, he goes, I've been in disagreement with what's been happening here. My mouth is unclean. And when we often think of unclean speech, we think of, you know, jokes that go a little bit too far or sarcasm or cursing, you know, swearing, things like that. And that is unclean speech. But it's more than that. It is about the narrative of God and what he wants and what he's going to do in the earth. Isaiah hears the singing in heaven that the whole earth would be filled with his glory. It's the mission statement. It's what God intends to do. And Isaiah is convicted in his own soul. He says, my words, my language, what I care about, what I talk about, even what I pray about is not unto the glory of God filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. Page three. Paul dedicates a portion of this passage where he's emphasizing Christian maturity almost entirely to this issue of our speech. Not totally, but nearly entirely. Considering the general aim of this chapter being Christian maturity, this should impress upon us the emphasis of the Holy Spirit in relation to the power of our words. James the brother of the Lord comes out, he just says it full bore in uh, James 3, verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many things, but if we don't stumble in word, we're a perfect man. We're able to bridle the entire body. He links Christian maturity to the speech that's coming out of our mouths. And again, I don't want us to just think of speech in the negative sense, but the Lord wanting to direct our speech into the conversation of heaven fueled by the word of God. 
He wants us hearing his words. It's the great charge to Israel. Hear, O Israel, before you even try and love the Lord, before you even try and love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, hear him. Hear what he's saying. Hear what he's about. Hear his agenda. Hear what's on his heart. And let that guide your speech. Hear and then speak. The Holy Spirit's inviting his people into a conversation with him at the dining table of the things on his mind and his heart. Revelation 3, he's going, I'm gonna deliver you from that lukewarm spirit. I'm gonna deliver you, Isaiah, from being cursed and being a person with unclean lips. I'm gonna do it by getting you into the conversation of what I'm emphasizing prophetically through my word. Our lives grow in God at the most fundamental level. And when you think of growth, think of maturity. We're all on the path, the growth path to coming into maturity in our walk with Christ. And at the most fundamental level, our maturity increases because of the words that we speak to God in a conversation. At the most fundamental level, there are more things to it than that. But at, I think if you just boil it down, our lives in God grow when we're talking to God and we're hearing God's words through his word and by the spirit back to us. It's that conversation with him that propels us into deeper love, into deeper maturity, into deeper growth in our faith. And that's why Paul, I believe, is highlighting this in Ephesians 4. He says you can't talk about Christian maturity without talking about Christian speech because the two go hand in hand together. I want your mouth to be the mouthpiece of my narrative. I want your words to be bathed with the grace of God, with the humility of God, with the kindness of God. Some examples, <clears throat> excuse me. Some examples here of unclean speech. Unclean speech impedes our ability to grow in intimacy with God. We're to be at the dining table of the Lord, but it's our unclean speech that's one of the primary causes of, of division between us and being able to sit at the fellowship table and enter into this conversation with the Lord. And that fellowship table I'm referencing is Revelation 3. For example, foolish talking. Foolish talking is when we overdo chattiness that doesn't edify when we give uninformed opinions about people or situations in a negative way, particularly. Complaining. Complaint uh, conveys the false idea that there is no hope for change. I want to tell you something, that complaint is what sells in the news media. Complaint sells if we highlight all the problems and all the unfixable solutions then we'll get clicks, it equals dollars, the message goes forth, things go viral through complaint. The enemy is monetizing complaint through our media. The Lord doesn't want us in the spirit of complaint. He deals very uh, 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 strongly with his people when they're operating in a spirit of complaining. Philippians 2 
verse 14 says, do all things, all things without complaining, without disputing. Gossip, another example. Speaking the truth in a negative way behind someone's back. Slander is when we speak lies about someone behind their back. He highlights coarse jesting, which is crude joking. It includes joking that is perverse, sexually immoral, centered on insensitive humor that is violent or sexist or racist or demeaning. It's focused on crude bathroom humor. The Lord emphasizes in his word that our mouths are a reflection of our heart. And beloved, if these things are coming out of our, our mouths, where does that tell us that our hearts are? But in the positive sense, look at this, paragraph E. This is, I'm actually so encouraged this morning about this. Our words direct us or redirect us into the things of the Lord's heart and purposes. Hosea, emphasizing the power of speech, told the people, take words with you and return to the Lord in Hosea 14. Take words with you. Return at the most fundamental level. Your life in God grows or it's redirected or it's, it's losing ground because of the words, because of the conversation of our minds and our hearts. What's interesting is that the Lord is not always thinking about or worried about the things that we are. I made it a habit some time ago that when I wake up in the morning, I would often uh, ask the question about to the Lord. I'd say, Lord, what's on your heart? What are you thinking about? Sometimes I would do it cringingly because I thought he was gonna rebuke me. Lord, what are you thinking about? You know, duck. One morning I'm getting ready and just kind of talking to the Lord. I say, Lord, what's on your heart this morning? What was on my heart was my shortcomings as a Christian. My failure, my sin, my compromise, and I wanted to have a conversation about those things. And I was just asking the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm coming to your table. Here's my agenda, but what's, what's on your heart? What do you want to talk about? And the Lord said, I don't want to talk about that at all. I was like, what? He said, I want to talk about Israel, the Jewish people. That's what's on my heart this morning. And it was like shocking to me. It was shocking that God would be thinking about something that I wasn't thinking about. <laughs> it was shocking to me that God had a conversational agenda that wasn't my conversational agenda. And this is what it means to get into the conversation with the things of heaven, the things that are on the Lord's heart in relation to our speech. He goes, I want your prayers to be harnessed by my will and my agenda. Because if you pray according to my will, it will be done. Otherwise, James tells us earlier, that you're just asking amiss. He says, I want you to get into what I want. Now, there are times that the Lord does want to talk to us about our sin. So I don't want to minimize that in any way. But a lot of times he's not thinking about the things we're thinking about. The way to a burning heart in God is to change the conversation. It's about redirecting. It's not about just muzzling our mouths and never talking again. That's impossible to do anyway. Some people hear the messages on speech and they just go, I'm just not gonna speak for a month. It's just not true. You know that you're gonna speak. 
Your mouth, your words, they have power. They're a gift from God, and we have to repent in the ways in which we give energy and utilize that gift in a way that is outside the will of God, but we must redirect it. And that's what he's inviting us into in this season, to redirect our words into the conversation in heaven. Look at James 3, verse 3 to 5. He says that your words, they're like a bit in the horse's mouth. Your tongue is. It turns the whole body. See, it's not just muzzling the horse, like don't speak horse. It's a bit that's meant to redirect. The Holy Spirit's redirecting the mouth and the words of the body of Christ to the family conversation, to the agenda that is on the heart and the mind of God. He says, look at this, your words, your mouth is like a ship. Or rather, your life is like a ship, but it's turned by a very small rudder. That's your tongue. Turn, use your tongue in gratitude. Use your tongue in prayer. Use your tongue in thanksgiving to turn the ship into the agenda of God. Ephesians 4.15, Paul tells us to speak the truth in love. God desires messengers who say what he says. Not just preachers, not just pastors, not just teachers. He desires the body of Christ to speak the truth in love. Some speak truth without love, and their words are hollow. They're a clanging gong because their primary desire is to be right. They mostly want to be right. They don't care about the wreckage or the carnage that their rightness goes. Can you imagine if God came to the earth and just insisted on being right without love? We would all be dead. Jesus didn't come and just insist on being truth. He came and revealed grace and truth. He came and revealed love and truth. Some people desire to be right without being loving. Others, however, they desire to speak love without truth. So instead of being truthful, they just say, I'm just gonna be love. I'm gonna err on the side of being loving. What they're doing is they're lying. They're being sentimental. Their words are immoral because what they want fundamentally is to please man and not God. When their friend is in sin, when their friend is being tempted, when their friend is being seduced by the world, when their friend is expressing to them, I mean, real brokenness, real issues of confusion related to a whole host of areas could be their Identity could be their gender orientation, could be their sexual orientation, could be the way they spend their money, the way they spend their time. So many go, I'm gonna be loving, but I'm not going to speak truth. I'm afraid of the conflict that the truth will cause. And they're operating in a man-pleasing spirit. They do not fear God, they fear man. They fear what that person will think if they speak the truth in a spirit of love, which is meant to be redemptive, not vindictive, it's meant to redeem, to edify, to point towards the things of God and eternal life. Have the worship team go ahead and come out. In conclusion, 
This is our take my takeaway. I think God's gonna deliver the Laodicean church by changing the conversation with him. I know I just threw a whole lot at us. There's a whole lot of moving parts there, but reading through Ephesians 4, I am convinced of this. God is after our words to get them into the right conversation with him. And when our words are in the right conversation with him, it is gonna break the power of that lukewarm spirit that hangs over the body of Christ. I'll leave us with this, Proverbs 10, verse 11. It says that the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life. Let's stand before the Lord together. Holy Spirit, we come before you as a spiritual family. Lord, many of us, like Isaiah, we feel the gap in our words, in our speech, even in our prayer lives, how we process our pains, our disappointments, our setbacks, how we're processing our life before heaven, before one another, how we're processing the betrayal, the disappointment of relationships, the disappointment that we experience in our marriages, how we're processing the gap with what we see, what we know and believe is true in the word of God, and yet we don't see it evidence in our lives, how we're processing that. We see the gap between our speech and your speech. We see the gap between our agenda and your agenda. Lord, we are humbled before you. We're humbled. We're humbled, Lord, but we know that you will give grace. You will release the help of the Holy Spirit. You are, just, you are not one to just expose our weaknesses, but to guide us into all truth and life and life abundant and the joy of the Lord. We ask you, Lord, for a wave of your spirit to wash over this people. We love you, Lord, and we need your help. Would you give grace? Would you impart the spirit of God, the helper, in a greater measure to our lives, to our families, to our relationships, in our ministries? In our workplace, Lord, we long for the grace of God to pour forth from our mouths. Psalm 45 says that the grace of the Lord is poured upon Jesus' lips. Lord, we long for that same grace to pour forth from our lips that when we come before you in prayer, that it would not be filled with complaint, that it would be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. We want to change the conversation. When we open our mouths to process our life with friends and family members, Lord, that it wouldn't be riddled with complaint, nor gossip, nor slander, that we would be in the conversation of your heart for edification. Come and touch us, Lord. Come and touch us, Lord. Help us. Redirect us. 
this morning if the Lord is touching your heart in a unusual way and you say I want to respond to this I want to respond to to my speech being in agreement I need to I want help from heaven to get into that family conversation more we want to invite you to come to the front come stand up here on these lines we have a ministry team that wants to agree with you in prayer to fight for you we're in this thing together we need our speech to be cleaned and and our our energy to be redirected so many are battling anxiety depression confusion you just feel an unsettledness in your own soul because of the cultural conversation has been setting the rudder for your life you're going i gotta get out of that i can't let the cultural conversation the media be my rudder i need god to be my rudder i need the help of the holy spirit to set the course of my life in a fresh way i'm resetting i'm hitting the reset button this morning we want to invite you to come up to the front and then always we make time for anyone that's sick in their body and you'd like to receive prayer for healing please come to the front as well and make sure you mention to the to the ministry team what you'd like to receive prayer for holy spirit we love you we ask for the release of your ministry you are the healer you are the provider you're the leader you are such a good god and a powerful god and a mighty god that when we come to you in humility it says that you give grace to the humble you give grace you help us help us lord in jesus name we pray the world. 